You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. One of the challenges we face as we try to be the church and plant a church in this time and place, 2019 in the United States, is... um, we don't get to start with a blank slate. People already have ideas about Christians and about God because in the United States, the mythology, the ethos of the United States is wrapped up in, I would say, exploitative of Christianity. And Christianity is part of a cultural landscape in the United States, just like, unfortunately, any other artifact is, be it football or... Um, apple pie or walmart right it's just one of those american things and i think that's especially true people have uh suppositions about christianity that might even come to a meeting like this so we have an idea of what we're working with um part of the trouble here is that i would say the uh content of the faith the heart of the faith um the culture has largely moved on from even if there's still a residue of christianity all over it more and more people aren't identifying as Christians. Old church buildings are empty or turning, being turned into condos, right? And Christianity is no longer an assumption about people, you know, even like it was 100 years ago in the United States. 500 years ago in Europe, it was kind of unheard of not to believe in God. But these days, it's almost impossible to believe in God. And so a lot has changed in terms of the landscape even in the last 500 years, particularly in the United States and and, in in the West, as it were. So we're dealing with a different set of philosophies, I think, in a different landscape. And one of the problems that we face is that we're expected to come up with a worldview that suits us. And so when we have all of these options, it's hard for us to find God. Before finding God was kind of as simple as waking up to a Christian hegemony and rule, right? Because you lived kind of in a Christian theocracy. But that's not how the world works anymore. Um, And you you can sense that the world is changing because there are people who are committed to restoring it to how it was. And, 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 And it kind of brings me some pain to say this, but there are Christians, and I would say um, uh, fundamentalists, that have allied with um, Western forces to create, try to create something as they imagined it used to be. Like they might ally with white nationalists as they grasp for a time that has passed. So Western Christianity as it was has become synonymous with, Western, with Westernism as it is. And so I can see why you make an alliance like that. But it's a problem if Christianity is just a construct of the West and of uh, whiteness. And I think that's deadly to the church. I think, so I think we need to find new ground to plant the church, and especially in this uh, postmodern landscape, and undo the idea that Christianity is cultural at all. You know, I don't wanna, I'm not grandiose enough to speak on behalf of the whole church, 
at large Christians all over the place. I'm just applying, hopefully, what I've been given to do in a very specific time and place, and this is part of the work of undoing it from what it was. So I don't want to live on the inheritance of the church or the, or the residue of uh, Christianity. I want to let go of what's dying and find a new soil to plant the gospel. And that's how we plant the church right now in this postmodern urban northeast United States, Philadelphia metro specifically. So that means we need to make a new kind of church. And we're imagining what the Spirit's doing next. And I think we have a lot of people that are gifted in finding new ways to help people get next to Jesus that are unencumbered from the past. But as even Bryant was saying, drawing upon the best of what has happened before us. The problem is everybody essentially knows something or another about Christianity, at least most people that we would meet today. And because of the kind of cultural prominence of Christianity in the United States, a lot of people kind of rule themselves out or have bought in already. So they'll say, oh yeah, I'm not religious, I'm not Christian, I grew up that way, I'm a lapsed Catholic, whatever the case is. They don't have an idea about where they are and where they stand. And so it can be hard to talk about Jesus or connect somebody with faith because they already know something about it. It's like trying to convince your friend that McDonald's is totally worth their time to try again. And they don't like it. Well, I already had it. I already know what you're talking about. I'm not really into that, so stop it with the... Uh, McDonald's sales pitch you know that's how I think Christianity can feel to people so you're either into it or you're not and that's kind of it um, and what I would like to address is these assumptions that people have about faith in Christianity and I think that we collect those assumptions because we insist on Christianity being culturally relevant and so, as a result, people come up with ideas that may not even be true to our faith that are placed upon it. Sometimes we call this folk religion or folk theology as beliefs or practices or symbols that are religious in nature and sometimes applied to a religion but not explicitly, that don't explicitly come from the religion. So they're essentially a stereotype about a group of people. We experience this in a variety of ways. I want to talk about specific uh, folk theology that's... Uh, connected to Christianity. Um, so let's walk, we'll walk through over the next few weeks commonly held folk beliefs, some of which are attributed to Jesus in the Bible, some of which that aren't, because I want to undo this problem. I don't want to prove them wrong, particularly, these ideas. But, you know, I kind, I kind of want to, you know, these things aren't barnacles, I kind of want to knock, off, knock the barnacles off the ship, if you will. Not because I want a clean boat, but because I, I wonder, hey, if we actually clear some things up, Maybe we'll get some more passengers on the ship who might be too afraid of barnacles or something. And they're kind of scary. So, like, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm cool if that's, if that's where you are. Um, so, don't want to be right. Just want to clear things up to help people get on board if this is what's stopping them. Like, here's, here's an idea I want to work with tonight. God never gives you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard a phrase, this phrase before? you have any immediate reactions to it? For what it's worth, it's not found in the Bible. So that's like, if, if, you, if you care about the Bible, no one wrote that in the Bible. It's, it's, it's almost in the Bible. Um, here's a passage from 1 Corinthians 11, sorry, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that alludes a little bit to it. Will someone read this out loud? Just, just read the top portion here. No testing is over 
taking you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to endure it. So there is something here where, where the writer is saying you won't be tested beyond your strength. So there's some similarities to the folk theology. God never gives you more than you can handle in this passage, but they aren't exactly the same. What precedes this passage, and I'm not going to do an exhaustive thing on 1 Corinthians 10 right now. What precedes this passage in the text are a bunch of Israel's Israel, which is the main nation God is trying to reveal God's self to the world through. Um, Israel's sins and consequences that it bore. And Paul, the writer here, tells the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, this is a Greek town, don't assume you're free of any temptation and you can stand on your own. Face your temptations and trials or tests can be any of those words. Uh, pyrosmos is the word. It can be translated a variety of ways. Um, God will be with you and you don't need to succumb. That's the point. Not that God is giving you something that... you. Uh, not giving you something that you can't handle, but as you face difficulties, you don't have to succumb to evil. That's my brief take on this passage. It has more to do with temptation to do evil than anything. But it seems to me like the piece of folk theology above it differs because it doesn't just refer to temptations to sin, as it were, but about life in general, hard circumstances, tragedies, divorces, terminal illness, depression, anxiety, poverty, and that's not even to speak of the, of, the, of the social things that we face, the societal things that we face that certainly feel like more than we can handle. The idea here is that not only is God responsible with all the problems you face, but that you'll be fine getting through it on your own. That's damaging because it seems like we do have plenty of things that are greater than we can handle. But the saying tells us in a cerebral way that we'll be fine. But what happens when it doesn't feel like that? I admit this idea might be comforting for some of us. And if it is, I don't think it's something you need to let go of. If it comforts you, that's fine. My point isn't to dislodge it from your... Uh, treasure trove of comfort. My fear is that, at least for me, it's not that comforting. And I think for a lot of us, it could not be. Um, and I, I, I think that some of the theology is problematic, but I'm more concerned about our well-being than making sure we have the right ideas. So, like I said at the start, a piece of folk theology like this might make you feel bad about yourself, and it might make you feel bad about the faith in general. And faith is delicate, so I want to care for it. And it's delicate in this time and place because it's optional. I understand that. You, you opt in. It's a choice that you have among so many other choices. And so we, I think we should be careful about what we say and empathize with who might receive it. You know, for a person who's suffering of depression or heartache, a flippant utterance of this phrase might be painful, insensitive, unsupportive. And so I want to work with this idea. I think we make some assumptions when we say it. God never gives you more than you can handle. First one is that God, right, is giving us all the circumstances of our life. God is meticulously sovereign is the fancy way to say it. 
So meticulous means in very detailed ways, God is sovereign. God's sovereign means God is, has power over it. So some people think that God uh, controls everything that happens. Um, and all your choices are not just foreknown, they are destined. And so everything that happens, God does, essentially. Like when people say everything happens for a reason, which is kind of more bullshit folk theology, right? That, that kind of thing is a problem. Some people do find comfort in that sovereignty. I know some of the people that find comfort in that sovereignty, right? The idea that all things work together for good, Romans 8, 28. I, 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 I'm kind of down with that, but I, and I don't want to undo that, but I also don't uh, want to burden God with things that are brought together for good, right? God hasn't assigned that necessarily. So I have a really hard time with this, personally, imagining the worst of tragedies in the world and making God responsible for them. There's a lot of bad things happening in the world, and I don't feel comfortable saying, well, God won't give you more than you can handle, as if God is supplying all this trouble to us. I think it does remove human agency for one thing, but for another, it sets up, for me, a God that's hard to love. And while some people hold on to that theology... And I think that's okay. And I really do. I know people that, 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 that need this sovereign God in their life. Can we give each other permission to have different um, imaginations about God? Can we imagine God differently together and let that be okay? Can we have a diversity of ideas in one place knowing that our ideas are not what make us up as individuals? That we can have unity even if we don't have um, ideological purity or something like that, right? That's, that's kind of where I want to go. Second, I just don't think God wants us to handle things and certainly not handle things on our own. You know, I, I, I think the truth is that you'll make it. I, I think you have what it takes by and large to make it through your most difficult circumstances. Sometimes that seems impossible. But I also think we do that work together. And with God, I mean, my hands are small. You know, my ship, to use the analogy from before, is small. And I think we can endure together very difficult circumstances. I think we have more capacity together than alone. And with God than alone. And this kind of idea doesn't really work if it's just a piece of logic or a piece of theology. When I say theology, I mean talk about God. And it's not even comforting in that sense. But I want to free you. You can handle your life. But you also can't handle your life. It will feel overwhelming sometimes. It'll feel beyond your capacity. It'll feel like the threshold of your, of your stress is you wake up and it's three-fourths of the way full already. So you don't even know what the day will bring that you can't handle. But... I think that the strength you have will surprise you too. That doesn't mean your life won't be without difficulty or trial, but I think that you've got what it takes. I believe that about human individuals and their own capacity. And not just on your own, but through the people around you. So we want to specialize together in helping people overcome impossible, seemingly, situations. I don't love saying that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. 
but I do know that we can endure through hard circumstances and resist evil powers around us together. You know, I, I know we can overcome. I know we can be firmly grounded and not moved. I believe in, I believe in that. I believe in us. I believe in the power of God through us. I, I have that. I have that faith anyway. And I want to keep resisting evil no matter how overwhelming the evil powers are. One of the most human moments that Jesus ever experienced was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is from Luke 22, when Jesus is facing, staring down execution, facing his own death. Someone allowed me this here, and you'll note our... uh, a Greek vocabulary word by Rasmus is in this one too. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, Bethany. Staring down execution on the cross, Jesus is feeling the limits of what he can handle. But he has faith and he endures and he asks God even to take away this cup, this cup of death that he's about to drink. And, but he's able to move through what he's given to do. Here, Jesus gives us permission to feel overwhelmed at capacity, handling more than we can. I think that's what Jesus is experiencing in this moment. And yes, sometimes, as you'll know if you read the whole passage, our friends will be asleep. They won't be there when we need them there. And we'll feel even further alone in our overwhelming anxiety, depression, whatever is facing us. And it'll feel hard. Sometimes we'll feel alone. Sometimes we'll feel like no one understands us. And what comforts me in that moment isn't just that I think I'll be delivered, but because God experienced it too, right? That, that through the person of Jesus, God experienced the same trouble that I experienced. God went through it, I can too. And I can because I'm empowered by this experience. God did it by God's nature, and I can mimic God through a matter of God's grace. So life will be full of trouble, But Jesus has overcome the trouble in the world. I need to keep reminding myself of this as I feel condemned, um, depressed, oppressed. Following God ensures our ability to withstand difficulty. But that takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of companionship. It takes intimacy with God. And intimacy is hard to come by. With, with human beings, it is hard, but also with God. And intimacy isn't created with the right ideas. It isn't created, even when we avoid principalizing a statement like God never gives you more than you can handle, which isn't really true. Intimacy is hardly created with theology let alone bad theology. 
right? It's not, that's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, I mean, I, it, it, I, I kind of live in this experience, you know? The more I learn about God, the more distant I am from God because I'm using the wrong tool for the job. Um, intimacy is not created with ideas, it's created with love. The 14th century author of a book called The Cloud of Unknowing tells us that we don't know God through our, our uh, intellectual faculty, through our minds. We know God through love. The author says, God is forever beyond the reach of the first of these, the intellectual faculty. But by means of the second, the loving faculty, God can be fully grasped by each individual being. So I want to resist making God into a concept. I want to resist conceptualizing God. And I actually think, if you want to go back, if you want to rewind all the way back to the beginning of this, when I'm talking about uh, uh, the cultural residue of Christianity and why we don't follow God anymore, it's because we've, we're, we're just made God into a concept. And then a new concept replaced it. Gregory of Nyssa tells us concepts create idols. Only wonder comprehends anything. People kill one another over idols. Wonder makes us fall to our knees. So I want to stay in the wonder. I want to, that, that's what creates intimacy with God. That creates oneness with God. We become one with God by a matter of God's grace. That intimacy with God creates trust with God that it takes to bear the unbearable and to endure the unendurable. Intimacy with God gives us strength to endure difficult circumstances. But how do you form intimacy with God? That's the question, right? That's the lifelong question, right? How do I become one with God? How do I uh, um, become one with Jesus? For one, that's the goal of contemplative life. As, as contemplation is centering on God and releasing your thoughts. It's emptying your thought-shackled self, often focusing on a, on a prayer word where you're breathing the prayer word. Not, not one that stimulates your mind. It's not an intellectual activity. It's a releasing activity so that you can center, right? That's one practice. Jordan Burge leads a contemplative prayer group every other Saturday upstairs in this building should you want to practice that. But we also form intimacy with God when we worship together, right? That's part of, that's, that's another tool that we can use to become intimate with God. Some, um, as, as Brian will lead us in at the end of the evening, some people find in, intimacy with God by communing with God in creation, in nature, right? That's another way we can get intimate with God. Some people find intimacy with God by marching for justice and taking direct action against evil. Another way we can do it. But our own realization that we're not separate from God, but rather we're part of a vibrant ecosystem of God that has no boundaries, comes through all those disciplines, but also through participation in the body of Christ. That's, the, that's, what, that's what we're trying to form together. It is hard to be intimate with God alone, even with those disciplines, and it's easier to do it together. So that's the, that's the, that's the faith encouragement that we have. We're trying to do something together and encourage each other 
in our community, in our cells, in our body. This is an expression of God. And when we feel unintimate with God, someone else's intimacy may uh, connect us or our intimacy with someone else might connect us with God. What I'm trying to say is that God doesn't burden you with all of your problems, and they're not yours alone to solve. They can be overwhelming. Intimacy with God through a love relationship with the body of Christ expressed through those varieties of disciplines that I just mentioned. You know, and those, those, the, there's more you could add to the list. I said contemplation, worship, um, communing with God in creation, fighting for justice. Those are all things that make us intimate with God. Part of the love relationship with the, with the body of Christ. We can form intimacy with God and overcome difficult circumstances. So our lives will often feel like they give us more than we can handle. But God is faithful and walking with us in suffering. And God is present within us and within one another, within God's body. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.